0: Is a common pattern to almost all the dynasties in world history. A new empire would be strong and thriving when the emperors were the best, hard-working and in possession of the right knowledge and skills to manage the kingdom. However, soon after the empire reached a stable or peak status, the emperors who subsequently inherited along with the descendants of the royal family more often than not became corrupt and pleasure-seeking, ignorant and unconcerned about how to effectively govern the country. Then, those ever-present, power-hungry classes began to seek opportunities to take over the throne. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast. This common law of rise and fall of kingdoms also applies to China's Tang dynasty. The shift from the High Tang to the Middle Tang period repeated the same mistake, with some startling stories. From the year 713 to 741, Tang's emperor Xuanzong facilitated the so-called Kaiyuan era, the period of prospering. He used capable officials to help him manage the country. They worked out the correct policies required to stimulate the economy, reduce the burdens on ordinary people, and effectively control corruption within the administration. It's believed that the Tang population reached 80 million in the late 8th century, far exceeding the entire population of Europe at that time. However, even by today's standards, this successful emperor lived a very controversial personal life. As the Emperor, the so-called Son of Heaven, he held absolute power in China and could do anything he wanted to, and what he did do was, let's say, eye-catching. Despite his hundreds of concubines, he fell in love with a charming woman who happened to be one of his son's wives. Lady Yang played a major part in the downfall of the Golden Age of the legendary Tang Dynasty. Even as the Emperor, Xuanzong could not be seen to make the obvious mistake of marrying his daughter-in-law directly. He found a rather flimsy excuse to let her become officially single again. This was based on a supposed dream of the Emperor's mother and, at her command, Yang was sent to a monastery to become a Daoist nun. What happened next would come as no surprise. A few years later, the officially single lady was welcomed to the palace by the emperor. Later, she earned the imperial title of Yang Guifei, which means prestigious concubine Yang. This woman was the second most famous woman in the Tang dynasty. Who's the most famous one? Of course it's the Empress Wu Zetian, the one and only female emperor in Chinese history. We've already talked about her story in our previous episodes. Prestigious concubine Yang was no ordinary woman either. She was known as one of the four beauties of ancient China. The depiction of her down the centuries has been mixed a classic femme fatale with the beauty of Helen of Troy and the power plays of Cleopatra. She's innocent and corrupt, powerful and powerless. In the brief ten years after she was given the title the Imperial Concubine in 745, until her death in 756, her brothers, sisters and other family members gained substantial power within the Tang's royal court. It was said that she was punished a few times by the Emperor for her jealous behavior. However, even when she was sent away, she was always called back again, as she was still and remained throughout his absolute favorite. Since there was no official Empress declared, Concubine Yang became the Empress in all but name. Legend says the Emperor and Concubine Yang vowed their eternal love under a crescent moon. (laughs) the emperor would drink wine and watch his lover dancing the Sogdian Whirl for him. The couple were so happy together, and they lamented that the nights were all too short. If you listened to our previous episode, you may remember we talked about the Sogdian Whirl before. Yes, this exotic twirling dance, vividly depicted in the frescoes of the Dunhuang Mogao Caves, was quite popular in the Tang Dynasty because of concubine Yang, but it disappeared later. In this sense, we can say that concubine Yang was also an important contributor to the amazing art of Dunhuang. However, good times don't last long. As Emperor song became obsessed with pleasure-seeking, it was not a surprise his military generals found an excuse to plot a rebellion. In the year 755, a military leader in the northeast of China, Lu Lushan, started a rebellion. The excuse he used was to oust and execute the corrupt Prime Minister, who was the brother of Concubine Yang. Concubine Yang was then forced to commit suicide to meet the rebels' demands. The rebellion lasted for eight years, which marks the Hai Tang's decline into the Middle Tang period. After the High Tang period, Dunhuang, a place far away from central China, was taken over by the Tubo, or the Tibetans. Fortunately, the political turmoil and the change of ruler did not affect the construction of the Dunhuang Mogao grottos, because the Tubo king was also a devout Buddhist. Mugao Cave 159 is a representative cave built during the Middle Tang period under the Tubo rule. We can see the Tubo King replaced the Tang Emperor in the Sutra illustrations. This is a small cave with a square main hall and a truncated pyramid ceiling. On both sides of the entrance walls, scenes from a famous Buddhist text are painted. It's a story about a lay Buddhist meditator who attained a very high degree of enlightenment by questioning and debating with the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, who is considered by some the most influential figure, second only to the Buddha. Their wonderful debate attracted many people to watch. This time, among the audience, is the then king of the Tubo kingdom and his entourage, indicating that this cave was built in the era of Tubo rule. The Tubo king stands in front of the crowd and is relatively large in size. He wears a red felt hat, a white lapel gown, a red round bead chain on the neck and black boots. There is a dagger in the belt around the waist. The whole outfit is typical Tibetan ethnic dress. There are many attendants around him, like the scene of a royal court. One is holding a canopy for the king, Another person is holding an incense burner and a minister in a long-sleeved Tibetan robe is leading the way. These detailed depictions of contemporary tubo attire and customs have provided a lot of information for artists and scholars. It is also easy to notice that the colours of the paintings in this cave are not as bold as in the previous era, but more muted, mainly white on a green background and that is a unique contrast to the rich and dazzling colors used in the first half of the Tang dynasty. Time went by quickly. The Middle Tang declined further to the Late Tang period. Although the glory of the High Tang was no longer there and central power was reduced dramatically, Buddhist activities and art were booming in Dunhuang. It was during this period that a unique cave was constructed and later became the most famous one, the treasure house of Dunhuang, the world's largest Buddhist art gallery. And that's all in our next episode. Stay tuned. Special thanks go out to the Dunhuang Academy and Sanliang Zhongdu for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, do give us a five-star rating or a review. I'm Graeme Stevens. See you next time on the Why We Love Dunhuang podcast.